This is Dissecting Dragons, the speculative fiction podcast for writers and readers by writers and readers. Hello and welcome to Dissecting Dragons, the speculative fiction podcast for writers and readers by writers and readers. I'm Madeleine Vaughan. And I'm Jules Ironside. This week, Women's Swords and Trauma, the backstory of the female warrior in speculative fiction. Now, I get the feeling that this is a subject which has been gnawing on Jules's leg for a little while. Yeah, I mean, this is not going to come as a surprise to anyone because I know I've touched on it before. Um, And I'm going to try not to be too ranty about it, but it's... Let's just say there were a couple of things, but the one that kind of sort of struck me was we rewatched Avengers Assemble, I think it was. Um, mm. Is it Avengers Assemble that has the whole thing in Sokovia and Black Widow sort of? Oh, wasn't that um, talking? Isn't that... Uh, anyway, it was one. Uh, Age of Ultron. Um, it's it's one. It's I think it's the one directed by Joss Whedon, and you. It was criticised a lot at the time, understandably for portrayal of black widow saying i'm a monster because she'd had a forced hysterectomy got to that bit and watching it again i think it's something that's not going to age well in the films to be mm-hmm. honest because of the way it's portrayed sort of you know i'm a monster i'm not really a woman and it's so that that's all very squicky stuff anyway and yeah the fact that she gets relegated to being a love interest a lot as well it's all very irritating um but we then later, Alan and I, not Madeline and I, Alan and I then later watched um, Black Widow, the film, mm-hmm. when it was released. And we watched it on Disney+. Plus, and it was really, really good. And I actually liked the way that they directed that. It's very much a film about sisters. It's obviously about, you know, her... It touches on her backstory. And it, you know, people being held to account for the trauma that these two girls actually suffered Mm. um and you know i'll talk about it in a bit more detail later but it it sort of really brought home to me that you can do these things in a way that isn't actually really offensive yeah um but it did also start me thinking about the fact that if you have a female warrior character in a film or a book um then it's almost always balanced by her having a traumatic backstory and not just traumatic not in the sense of, you know, a male warrior character gets a traumatic backstory and it usually means that someone he loved died. Mm -hmm. With a female warrior, it's usually that she's been sexually assaulted or raped or, you know, has suffered a particular type of violence that could really only be enacted against a woman in that specific way. One that carries that kind of connotation of of shame with it as well. Absolutely, yeah. Um. So yes, it's something that bugs the hell out of me and I want to talk about <laughs> about why it happens and what we can do to stop doing it, basically. Yeah. I completely agree. Um, it's something that has definitely bothered me and, you know, we'll, we'll talk about why the nuance of it in, in a moment. But let's start by talking about, you know, the, the sort of the general side of things. You know, the female warrior character has just in general become a slightly problematic trope um usually depending how she is portrayed um you know once it was considered subversive and edgy to have a woman with a sword and fantasy 
though never better than the male main character, of course. Um, of course. Or she could be, she could, they could say, oh, she is better than the male main character, but you never actually see that. Somehow the male main character is always still the one who's fighting the, the greater force while the female sort of side character fights the female lieutenant. Yes. <laughs> I'm always like, switch it around, guys. <laughs> Do it the or she, other way. You know, she, she put, puts her sword aside entirely. So you, you have Eowyn in Lord of the Rings who gives up her sword. Yeah, she's um, like, shield, and... maiden, shield maiden, shield maiden, shield maiden. Well, that's done. Time for marriage <laughs> and babies. I mean, I know it's kind of like I killed the witch king of Angmar, so and it's kind of like, am I ever going to do better than that? No, I've I've basically won the world championships here. I guess I'll quit while I'm ahead. Yeah, but it is at the same time really, really frustrating. Yeah, and I I mean I can also understand with Eowyn, I could also understand it being you know she had this idea this this sort of this fantasy about battle because she hadn't ever really been in battle, she hadn't ever really f- seen the horrors of war, and then having done it she doesn't want to do it anymore and i can understand that as well but the problem was that yeah it's you had one female character and (laughs) yeah and the problem is in fantasy she was one example yeah and she gave up and i think you know that that wasn't a deliberate thing i'm not saying that a bunch of men sat around and twiddled their mustaches and said this is what we must do this is what we must telegraph yeah but these sort of things do have a knock-on effect and Tolkien is the most imitated fantasy writer in the world. Yeah. You know, in, in fantasy canon whatsoever. Um, he's influenced absolutely everything, even the people who are trying not to write like Tolkien. Yeah. So it's not surprising that then you get that, that trickle-down effect of the female warrior character who either realises the error of her ways and usually has a traumatic, mm-hmm. a very specific female traumatic backstory. Yeah. Um, or she is a sexy lamp with a sword. Yes, that's the other thing that really bugs me. <laughs> Sex, sexy sword lamp. <laughs> sexy sword. Sword-wielding lamp. Yeah. Um, in, it's something that's really just become entrenched. Instead of giving a female warrior character characterization, you know, yeah. radical concept, it's a case of, no, she's got a sword. And it's kind of like saying, yes, but he's a gay character. Like, yeah, but what what is he like? What's his favourite colour? What, what does you know, he do in his downtime? Yeah. You know? Look, it's not being gay is not a job as well. They're like, oh, you know, he he's gay. It's like, but what's his job? Well, he's gay, so he's a fashion designer. Okay, listen, <laughs> I have nothing against having a gay fashion designer character, but you know that that's not the only thing that gay people can do. <laughs> no, absolutely not. So, so yeah. yes, it. it it's that sort of thing and mostly it's done through thoughtlessness and because it's become a stock trope and yeah. if you're going to use a stock trope in any context you should be thinking why am i using this without really thinking about it is it is it because i'm being a teeny weeny bit lazy yeah and there is there is you do have one other version of it which is the the joke character 
And this is a female character who is, in the way that they're designed, in the way that they sort of act, they're clearly, they're meant to be the butt of a joke. They are meant to actually sort of look like a male character. And sometimes they might even have a relationship with somebody else or even be quite buxom and things like that and be like, ho, 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 ho. But they're a joke. They're not actually taken seriously. They're not given any characterization. Um, They're usually very large as well. Yeah. You know, um, big shoulders, um, fat or, or huge, huge breasts, bawdy. Um, and it's basically a lusty barmaid that's yeah, supposed to heed the call to adventure. Exactly. Um, and is and is one of the guys, but never, never has any actual character, never really gets anything to do anything cool. They are just kind of there for the laughs. Um, yeah. And but you never get a like a main main female character who, you know, is just, <laughs> who is like that, but also maybe has a little bit more of a story. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think this is where you start to get the backstory issues because people say, "Oh, you need to flesh the characters out," and they're like, "Oh God, what can I do? What can I give this female character as a backstory? Yeah, uh, why would she pick up a sword in the first place? Well, obviously, she was horribly traumatized. She was." Uh, sexually abused as a child or she was raped at some point or you know somebody did something to her which means she can never bear children so she may as well wield a sword and it's like why are you giving these people highly gendered trauma to deal with as a backstory when you could have well I actually grew up as a seamstress's daughter and every time I try and sew something I just stab myself in the fingers but it turns out I'm really fucking good with a sword and I'm excellent at killing people why yeah. can't that be the backstory? I mean even the way that Arya Stark did it yes it's trauma but this isn't gendered trauma yeah. it's I watched my own father get killed um, and I kind of want revenge um, but she was always into fighting and archery and sword play before that yeah. you know it just it sort of sharpened her determination. It didn't actually change her interest. She already had the interest. Yeah, absolutely. And I again, I don't mind one where it's like, well, I'm just this and okay, now I have to pick up a new skill. And I don't mind that at all. But it is, yeah, very much with with the female characters is that there, there tends to be this idea, which is um, I was a feminine person and then something <laughs> came and destroyed my femininity so I must now pick up a sword to destroy that thing which destroyed my femininity, which may be the only thing that gives me peace. And that really pisses me off. Yeah, I mean, honestly, even if you read the original nine... I mean, I obviously didn't read this in Chinese because I don't read Chinese. Um, but the original ninth century poem, Hua Mulan, is, yeah. is you know, she... It, it, that is a that is a so- story about filial duty. This is about a, a girl who is supporting her family yeah. by choosing the warrior's art. And at the end, her main she she achieves her main goal. She wins many many honors, and then she quietly sets it all aside and puts her sword down and goes back to being a dutiful daughter of the family. Mm. So I mean, obviously, the person who wrote that poem, who I believe was supposed to have been one of the emperor's ladies or attached to the court. Mm-hmm. We're not really sure. Um, but again, this is not a new thing, the idea that there are sets of things that girls can do and sets of things that boys can do. And if girls have to diversify and go into things that boys can do, they will, as soon as it is safe to do so, set down the things that they've become good at and go back to being proper young ladies. Yeah. 
And that, um, yeah, I hate that. I really, really hate that. It bugs me. And it's like, why can't you just say, well, I'm really good with a sword. Maybe I'll go back and learn embroidery after all. That might be quite soothing. And I'm less likely to, you know, nearly lose fingers and things from it, probably. Yeah. Um, the other thing is the thing that male characters get sort of like my wife my girlfriend my child whatever was killed in this horrific manner yeah um they were never given characters they're basically fridged at the beginning of the story in order to provide man pain and motivation yeah um you almost never get a female character particularly a female warrior character who has this as their arc i'm so doing that i hope you know that right yeah (laughs) (laughs) i'm down for that i'm down for that i mean you know give the give the person that dies like character so that i feel really bad about it yeah rather than just uh, don't know who you are but into the fridge you go they were they were good looking they were sweet tick (laughs) they made me a better person that's a classic so yes um it all this is very frustrating and i have to say i don't think it's deliberate i genuinely think that when people write books they're focusing on their main characters and particularly if they're new to it or they're new to writing fantasy they're focusing on the main characters and you need something to get your main characters going yeah and you you will inevitably draw from what you have read and if what you have read is a lot of sexy lamps with swords and a lot of women with gender specific trauma as their backstory then the chances are you will regurgitate some of that because you're not asking yourself the questions you should be asking yeah and again there are some people who are like actually i really like this character i like the sexy lamp with the sword i like the fact that she's competent she's sexy she's got a sword fair enough fair enough and you know there can be female characters female readers who like that as well and there can be female writers who write that there is nothing wrong with that the problem is that that's all that we see Yes. Diversify it a bit, guys. Come on. <laughs> give yeah, us a little could, bit more. <laughs> if you like them, give them an entire character. Please. Please, God. Yeah. In fact, if you don't like them, give them an entire character. Your yeah. book will read better. No, no. It, it always makes me think of this one person who came up with this great idea. Again, this is a Tumblr post that I just thought, oh, yeah, I really like that. Where it's, uh, you know, an adventurer. This is a guy and he's just, he's got a picture of his wife and every time he's doing things, he you know, he opens his picture before he gets the big battle and he looks longingly at his wife and he's like, I miss you every single day. I'm doing this for you. And everyone else on his party is like, oh, this poor man has lost his wife. And he's just, they're like, you know, he's just always, I miss you. I love you. Um, you know, every single day, I will never stop loving you, that kind of thing. And then at the end, he gets home and there's his wife and they're like, we thought she was dead. He goes, no, I just really love her and I really missed her while I was on an adventure. <laughs> and I was really, I was, I was just waiting to come back to her. And I was like, yes, <laughs> big tick. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay, let's look at why these types of backstories are problematic. Okay, so it's another way of curbing a female character and not allowing her to be a full person. Um, you know, it's the it's the stock fantasy scantily clad female warrior. Yes, um, the fur bikini is absolutely armor, obviously. Or the the fitted breastplate, totally. That's fine as armor. And, yeah. You know, why would she need greaves or anything like that? Yeah. The the the, <laughs> the 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 breastplate with the breasts, which would kill you instantly if it got hit with even a little bit of force. Absolutely great armour. Perfect. Um, (laughs) And it's, you know, 
if if all you were doing was something aesthetic then yeah I could you know there is part of me that kind of like yeah I can appreciate the female form I really genuinely can but that is not effective armor from... yeah. anyway that you know we, we've touched on that before but <laughs> it it is you're not even hiding the fact that it's basically a sexy lamp with a sword yeah absolutely. at that point you're not trying you're not trying at all um and I think you know it feed basically if you give them a gender specific trauma as their backstory it feeds into the narrative that sexual assault is a, a normal part of the female experience um it's not normal it, it sadly happens far more than it should do yeah uh, but it's absolutely not normal and we need it to stop being normal in fiction because and how you treat it is obviously a big part of that yeah um, which we'll talk about in a minute but for example and I'm really sorry, Madeline. Uh, I do actually like bits of this series. You no, know no, that. go, no, go for it because this is something that really, really annoys me. Um. Um, but yeah, <laughs> we we've talked about a quarter silver flames by Sarah J. Mass before, and it is, I think, of of all of that series, that is the one of the worst offenders in terms of portraying someone with you know sexual assault as a backstory, and then yeah. put, making that the reason almost that they they go into becoming some kind of warrior even when there's someone who would have been better suited to being a political player yeah absolutely uh, the other thing is that a court of um you know silver flames doesn't just extend it into the you have at least two characters who have been abused so one of them it was familial abuse um, one of them, it was it was absolutely sexual abuse. Yeah. Um, and one of them, obviously, Nesta went through her own terrible trauma. Um, and like, okay, that was bad. That that was that was bad enough. But again, I don't mind if there has been some kind of sexual abuse in the past. But what happens in this story is that these women. They go off and become warrior, and the thi- whenever they're faced with other people, the first thing that the the male warriors try to do to them is sexually assault them. Yes, they don't bother giving them characterization; they just have them act like this. And yes, there's the whole oh, well, the Illyrian culture is very sexist; uh, women are second class citizens, etc., etc. And we know this is a thinly veiled reference to cultures existent in the world now, but it's just ridiculous that you would. You know that you would do this, and it's the the whole sort of oh, we're going to put women in their place. And I'm not saying this doesn't happen, okay? I remember when I was doing a paintballing team building thing with the karate club. Yeah. This was about sixteen years ago, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, by necessity, our karate club was just I think it was about eighty percent men, twenty percent women. Mm-hmm. So the people who turned up on the paintball day, uh, there was maybe two other women than me. Yeah, I think uh, one of whom would have been in her early sixties, right? Um, and we all know that, that that tends to make you slightly invisible as a woman, anyway. Yeah, um, there wasn't enough of us to form a full paintball team by ourselves, mm-hmm. so they paired us up with a group of lads um, who'd come from something else. I think they might have been territorial army, right? And one of the blokes from that took one look at me. And turned to his mate and went, they're going to fuck it up for us. They brought a bunch of girls with them. Okay, they brought two girls with them, so I don't know how many are in a bunch for you. Yeah. 
And this bloke sort of looked at me and went, if you mess this up, I'll fucking rape you. Um, and it's just like, I don't think he genuinely meant that, oh yeah, if you fuck this up, then I will actually do that to you. But mm. the, the ease with which the sexual violent threat just tripped off his tongue. So yes, there are dicks out there. And I would love to say that is the only time that's ever happened to me. But I've, you know, had at least half a dozen experiences of something very similar people saying saying that sort of thing yeah absolutely Um, and i i wasn't rattled i was just thinking you have no idea where i've come from you have no idea that um what i could literally do to you right now and as we played it sort of turned out that we were actually a lot better than the guys from the ta so yeah funny side of the story anyway (laughs) um competence is always the best form of revenge by the way guys just a little little note yeah so i'm not saying that this shit isn't out there but i am sick of seeing it in fantasy and not being properly explored just being used as lazy shorthand for oh this poor person was a victim yeah you know and (laughs) it's like oh this poor person was a victim and that is immediately we know they're a bad we know they're a bad character because they're all going to try and commit that that was the thing with the Illyrian males is that I totally understand this is meant to be a sexist society. They don't treat women well. It's sort of written into their culture and things like that. Like, fine, tick. I understand that. Okay. Um, that's not doesn't necessarily make for bad world building. But it was the fact that there are these warriors, right? They all have one thing in common, which is that they are trying to get to the top of that mountain. Okay, they're trying to survive, and yet all of them <laughs> seem to have the time to just go. But you know what? You know what? I think there's a little. There's time for a little bit of rape, um, <laughs> and that just makes no sense to me. There's no idea. That's kind of like okay. If you genuinely see them as an enemy, you just kill them. You don't think, oh well, let's let's stop for a quick go, kind of thing. Yeah, um, exactly, and. I can understand maybe a few of them who are angry enough that they want to make an example of these women, but not every single bloody one. Um, And it was, it seemed to be every single bloody one. They had like one guy who was sort of helpful to them, sort of. Um, And that, that was kind of it. And I was just really sort of bored by it. Yeah. You know. And that sort of brings us on to the second point, which is that generally these traumatic backstories this gender-specific trauma is never fully explored. Mm. It's literally used to create this sort of, oh, this person was a victim narrative. Yeah. Um, If it ever was fully explored, it would overbalance the story because it clearly shouldn't be there. Yeah. And it becomes a contrivance. So you give women the role as victims and men the role as perpetrators. Yeah. And as you say with Sarah J. Mass's books, it's kind of like, apart from the chosen cast of men who are okay, all the others have to be abusers of some kind. It's like she can't write anything else. She can't just write a male friend. Well, yeah, and but it's also the idea that actually all of the male cast of thing, uh, the reason that they're okay is that they have these desires. They have these massive fiery desires, but they're holding back. They're yes. holding back from it. And it's the ones who don't hold back. Who, and I'm like, okay, but not every single person sees another person and immediately wants to get down with it. Yeah, not everyone's an oversexed monster driven by hormones. Some people actually like to get to know each other. Yeah. Concept. Yeah. And some people just are not like, some people like sex, but don't care that much. 
Like, we're not horny all the time. What the hell is happening? And they're supposed to be 500-year-old beings as well. It's kind of like, why are they acting like 14-year-olds who've just discovered their first Playboy? Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's because they're mates, Jules. Uh, they can't well, no control one... themselves. Uh, anyway. Okay, we're going to put that to the side for now. We're going to um... put that to the side. <laughs> Unfortunately, I cannot unpick that. That is so tightly tied into this entire thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I, I, anyway. I do want to just very quickly say in terms of the, the sexy armour, I just want <laughs> to draw attention to some of the artwork that's done of Eowyn from uh, Lord of the Rings. Like yeah. some of the old artwork where she is dressed. Oh my god! Like you can just see everything. Um, she's just her, her butt cheeks are out, and I actually really like that armor. And the reason I really like that armor is that it says very clearly in the books that Eowyn was dressed like all of the like everyone else. She was in disguise. Well, yeah, she was they dressed... didn't notice she was. Yeah, there. she was there. Which means, which means, guys. <laughs> All the men were dressed, all of like, them were dressed like that. <laughs> Went into the, war like the Spartans. Yeah, the, the orcs could hear them coming by the clap of their butt cheeks as they marched into battle. I mean, seriously. Oh, and so that is the only time where I approve of very sexy armor. I was like, okay, but then clearly everyone had to wear that, and I can get behind that. If that's just a, all right, we're all wearing this. Then good for you. <laughs> There you go, Lord of the Rings just became about 30% gayer for everybody <laughs> listening to this. Um, okay, so another problem is with this, this trauma narrative is that it suggests women who want to fight are unnatural. Now, until we had big standing armies in the 18th and 19th centuries, about 30% of our armies were raised from whoever they could, whoever they could bring in. Yeah. Um, without going into lots of historical detail, I could, but I would overbalance the podcast. Um, so about 30% of the armies were kind of women. Yeah. Kind of women. They were women. You <laughs> kind <know>? of women. <laughs> they were kind of women. They were kind of, of women. They were kind of women because a lot of the women signed on under male names because technically they weren't really supposed to be there. But when push comes to shove, would you rather have a woman who's an expert with the longbow or would you rather have a 15-year-old boy who's never even killed a chicken kind of thing? Yeah. Or younger. So it's just, it's, yeah. it's, it's utterly ridiculous. They claimed wages under male names. They were paid male wages, which yeah. is probably the one time women were actually paid male wages. <laughs> but that is a kettle of fish for another time. Yes. Um, <laughs> but yeah, this idea that women who want to fight are unnatural, that's ridiculous. Women have pretty much fought in everything. Every war that's, that's ever happened, there have been women there fighting in some capacity or other. The yeah. only place I'm absolutely certain, or you know, ninety nine percent certain, there were no women, is in the sort of the submarines during the Second World War, because it would have been incredibly difficult to maintain a disguise under those circumstances. Yes, yeah, absolutely. So pretty sure they weren't there, but in in, in, in almost every other capacity, um, and it, it's this idea that having this gendered trauma backstory has psychologically mutilated the female warrior character. Which yeah. is 
incredibly damning because there are millions of ways to be female and it is as natural to be female and want to fight as it is natural to be male and want to not fight and maybe take up knitting or something instead yeah. that's all normal i think and i think this is the other thing is that whenever you have a story which is based on sexual trauma in particular because of the way that it's been depicted as a woman problem if that makes sense of again women as as the victims and men as the perpetrators and not just a a, a violent issue which yes happens a lot to women but does also happen to men it's not a gendered thing it's a it's a it's a violence it's a power play it's a power, it's a power play. play and it's so an act of violence yeah it's something that happens because someone was vulnerable at that time and yeah. sometimes the person who was vulnerable was male or yeah what have you but the um, problem is because it's always depicted as a female problem you get this idea again that by having this happen to you um, you have been robbed of something and you have to pick up a sword or you have to do that in order to to actually to get revenge or to make your peace with what has happened. You have to sort of return violence um, and that, that that's a justifiable reason for a woman to turn violent. Um, and I can understand if you've been hurt or you've been, you know, uh, assaulted, damaged, you might actually want to take revenge and you might feel strongly enough about taking revenge but they've made it gendered by making it always sexual revenge because of the way that sexual um sorry sexual assault is depicted as a female problem it's become a gendered thing and that just makes it all uncomfortable yeah so we really should be rejecting this narrow view of what women can be what women's problems are yeah. Um, they're not they're, they're societal issues they are human problems yeah. they belong to everybody everyone should be paying attention and everyone should be trying to reject this narrative yeah um and it it's oh, in fact I'll come back to black widow in a moment but um the the final thing really well final two the final thing is it suggests that women who fight are acting out their trauma and that's a trivi- trivializing way to talk about something like yeah. that that's I mean, uh, Red Sonia, for example. Mm. <laughs> I've I've spoken about this before, but you know they pillaged her village, burned it to the ground, killed her entire family, and then you know for shits and giggles raped her as well. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure you had enough for a re- revenge arc there before you did that as well. Yeah. Without turning it into this thing that you're never ever going to explore. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, this is it's it's lazy writing. It's la- You know, I get why people internalize this from reading other fantasy and then regurgitate it when they're writing their own fantasy but if you're not asking yourself these questions you are being lazy i'm sorry it might be it might be unintentional but it is lazy yeah absolutely and as you say um you didn't need that it's also there's like oh that was just historically accurate it's just historically accurate that they that they run around and i'm like yes in some respects it is but there's also the situation at hand you know there's, and and if you're going to do that, explore it, give it depth, think about the the larger implications. You know, it's not just the cherry on the cake. It's not also not also the be all and end all. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, absolutely. It it always got me when people when there was the big argument over the Game of Thrones TV series, mm. when people were complaining. You know, some people were complaining about the level of rape, and other people were like, "Well, it's historically accurate." And like. 
Okay, first of all, this is fantasy based on some historical events, but not yeah. even set in our world. You can conceive of magic and face changing and dragons, but you can't conceive of a world without rape in it. Yeah. I think the problem might be you. You know? Yeah, absolutely. So that was an issue. Um, I want to return just briefly to Black Widow and the whole, the really gross way that you've got... I. You've got her saying, well, you're not the only one who's a monster to Bruce Banner because she had been enforcibly sterilised. Now, Black Widow's backstory was that as a child, um, she was taken away from what turns out to be her foster parents. And she's been conditioned and and trained for the moment for a long time. But when it arrives, she is actually very traumatised by it. And so is her younger sister. Hmm. And they're separated and, you know, don't see each other for decades kind of thing. And they're cycled through something called the Red Room, which trains female assassins. Um, the reason you'd have female assassins is, one, it, it's actually easier to get a female spy into a lot of places. Yeah. And, you know, people tend to underestimate women, so women who are trained to be very, very precise are actually very, very dangerous. Uh, spoiler alert, guys. Um, but also, you know... That the whole idea that women are slightly more biddable because we're kind of conditioned into it and there is unfortunately there's an element to that as well and although i think if you take anyone from a certain age so if you take someone of 11 and start conditioning them or even yeah. younger and condition them it's going to be difficult for anyone to break away from this child soldier mentality that's not an easy one yeah. for anyone um anyway the whole sort of thing with her you know saying you know, they forcibly sterilise us because they don't want us to love anything more than we love the cause. Yeah. That kind of does make a little bit of sense. Yes. But it's also a ridiculous thing to say because if you want someone to blend in quite a good way, as, as we know from, you know, the Cold War, is to send someone in posing as a different nationality, marry them into that nationality, have children. Nobody nobody realises that they're living next door to a spy. We know this actually happened. Yes. Um, it doesn't actually... Having children doesn't necessarily change that person's allegiance. We know from people like um, Agent Sonia that it, it actually didn't. Her children had no idea that she was a Russian spy. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that didn't have to be the only way they did it. In the film Black Widow, there is a lovely moment where you have um, Natasha and her younger sister, they finally meet up again. Mm-hmm. And they meet up with the person who was their foster father and their foster mother who'd kind of given them over to the people who ran the Red Room. Yeah. And their foster father, they, they broke him out of prison because they needed him for something. And he's being a real dick. And the, the younger sister's kind of driving the car at the time and... She says something snarky to him and he's like, what's wrong with you? Have you got your period? And she said, no, I don't get my period. That's what happens when they forcibly sterilise you. And then she starts going into detail until he looks really, really grossed out by it. And she's doing it very deliberately to say, in quite a humorous way, blackly comedic way to say, Mm. this is what your actions have done to me. These are the choices you have taken away. You took away some agency I have over my own body. So Mm -hmm. no, you can sit there and listen to it because you're being a dick. And I thought that worked really well in terms of reclaiming that narrative from the whole I've just been a victim narrative that which Joss Whedon unfortunately threw in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they because that was the thing is when I initially watched it, I I understood 
the the kind of the process of what Natasha might have been trying to say, which is that I I'm a monster because I was literally trained to be a monster to the extent that I was physically modified because they didn't want me to get attached to anybody. That's why I'm a monster. Um, but of course, the way it came out was I've been physically modified not to have children. I'm a monster. Yeah. Which is not a great narrative. Um, and again, yeah, the way it was framed and the way that it was owned was messy and stupid because it also says, okay, um, does that mean for the people who have been, you know, put into that position where, they, where they've been forcefully sterilised or been mutilated in that way, are they monsters too if you can't have children? And are you a monster even more so if you choose not to have children? You know, yeah, absolutely. It, it puts that forward, and that's just no. <laughs> Put it's that like away. You, <laughs> you did not think that through at all. Yeah. Um, okay, so what can writers do instead of all this icky stuff we've been talking about? So the first thing is write the person first. Your focus is on creating a whole character, so include a backstory which doesn't focus on sexual assault. Um, you know, an example of this, Protector of the Small, Tamora Pierce. Which is a great example. You've got Caladri of Mindelin, who is part of a, um, one of the less wealthy noble houses yeah. in Tamora Pierce's total series. And Caladri, at sort of 10 years old, really wants to go off to train to be a page and then a squire and then a knight because it's now legal for women to do so. Mm -hmm. uh, she knows it's not going to be easy. Her backstory is that she's come from a relatively happy home life. She grew up in the Yamani Islands, which mm. basically is kind of, of Japan, but fantasy Japan. Yeah. And she learned to speak their language and she learned some of their fighting techniques and things. So this is something she loves, something she wants to do. And she feels very strongly about the Knight's Code, as in you should be looking after someone weaker than you. Yeah. Um, but she was bullied by her older brother she's got lots of older brothers and sisters and one particular brother um was always after her not in a sexual way nothing like that he just picked on her yeah and on one occasion he got her um on one of the towers of her family's castle and he held her over the battlements and it left her with this crippling fear of heights which she has to battle with all the way through all four books um so her backstory is a mixture of relatively happy memories with her family, feeling like a strange and clumsy outsider in fantasy Japan until mm -hmm. she learned how to blend in and how to make friends with people and being a bit in, you know, and, and this, this, the thing with her brother bullying her is only a really tiny segment of that. So yeah, yeah. there's something traumatizing there, but it's not gendered and yeah. it's also not the be all and end all of her entire character and what's formed her. Yeah. Okay, I'd like to point out here, this does not mean that you cannot write a person who has, as part of their story, has been sexually assaulted. You, There might be a number of different reasons why you want to write that. Um, we're not saying don't write that at all, but we're saying it's not the only thing um, yeah. that is going to shape a person. It's not going to be, you know, it's not like everything before that and after that has has is been erased it's all concentrated on that moment it isn't 
not in the least there are going to be a lot of other things which are happening there yeah absolutely i mean if you absolutely feel strongly about having that as part of a character's backstory remember yeah. it's part of the backstory it's not yeah. everything yeah um it you know that cannot be the only thing that's ever happened to them and if you're gonna do it then you absolutely should have the balls to tackle it properly yeah um that that that's, doesn't mean graphic flashbacks but that does mean really examining character actions and having the character sort of learn and grow yeah or not be able to get past things yeah so, just in the same way that you would if your character was tortured or if your yes. character had been you know had gone through any other kind of big trauma of any kind buried alive you know almost <laughs> drowned you know things like that you've got to yeah. consider all of these things yeah definitely other things you can do fit the role to the character there are many ways to be a fighter not everyone needs to be wielding a sword and charging head on into battle yeah i can't stress that one enough i you know it doesn't have to be you see the female warrior and there are so few of them that are anything other than yes i'm i'm a mercenary or you know that they're kind of the melee type warrior rather than actually i'm really good with knives i happen to be really good fist fighter i happen to be really good at archery you see so little of that yeah, by comparison well, for me it's always right i'm the melee fighter i go in with the sword um or it's the i'm the sharpshooter i'm the sharpshooter i'm always constantly away from the action yeah um and i'm like but there are other things as well. It's whenever they had a, they have like a, a group of people who are fighters. That the, the woman is always the magic person, who who can fight from the distance. And then they might have the one sort of knight character who runs in with the sword. And I'm like, but other things as well. <laughs> yeah, and I am absolutely not saying that if you have a massive, massive character, as in that they happen to just be like a six foot eight wall of sheer muscle. Mm-hmm. chances are it'll be a male character not always but yeah. chances are they are and yes that particular person is suited to being a blunt instrument but yeah. you can always subvert expectations you really can exactly um i would say also have a character who wants to fight who feels it's their call i mean make that something that they really want to go for again it's the whole tomorrow appears thing you have alana the lioness who isn't shouldn't be learning to be a knight and disguises herself as a boy you know stuff that we actually know happened historically yeah exactly and again yeah you also have um Aya Stark as a good example of that she wants to fight she absolutely yeah. wants to she starts being instructed in fighting before she has to go off you know and she doesn't immediately become good she takes her time she learns by trial and error and a lot of difficulty and things like that and becomes an incredibly good fighter yeah absolutely it's the make her competent but not necessarily skilled at every single thing yeah um i i think the thing is there's this perception that if you have a female warrior she either has to be like the sexy lamp of the sort or absolutely unbeatable rather than you know what she could be really really good and yet you know what there's always somebody better yeah and i say this as someone who spent 15 years fighting at professional level and I was relatively good but there was always somebody better yeah um and it it's one of those things the fact that there's someone better doesn't mean they will always win if you recognize it and you fight smarter yeah you fight more cleverly there's a good chance you can win so a lot of fighting is is sort of coming down to being able to assess your opponent 
Yeah. But also um, the terrain and a little bit of luck sometimes. Yeah, the terrain, the weather. Yep. <laughs> the weather can be a huge thing. It's a huge thing. Think Agincourt. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, allow your character to have other interests. Perhaps, you know, sword-wielding maniac by day likes to babysit by night kind of thing. <laughs> I don't know. Likes to babysit whilst being a sword-wielding maniac. <laughs> You'd never be worried, would you? You'd be kind of like, well, you know, the children are well looked after. Nothing's going faster. Let her form female friendships and romantic relationships, which are rich and nuanced, which doesn't mean she absolutely has to settle down. Just, you know, well, absolutely. I think the female friendship thing is actually really important because, again, this is it's like the only female and she's a warrior and she does this and she has this traumatic backstory and she doesn't have any female friends. And I'm like... Didn't you appear in, like, nine other books before this? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So this is, again, something I want to talk about in um, A Court of Silver Flames. In that one part of it was like, yay, it's nice to see Nesta actually connecting with some other women. And they all like books. They all yeah. like romance books. And I'm like, that's good. That's fine. I can I can totally get behind that. But the thing that sort of annoyed me a little bit with that was that... It also felt like female friendships and all female friendships look the same. Yeah. And they don't. They really don't. (laughs) No, they don't. Because weirdly enough, women are individuals. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. (sighs) Anyway. Well, um... actually, it also, it makes me think of, um, I just finished recently reading... um, uh, rule of wolves and there is the you have you have several female sort of warriors characters in leah bardugo's books um but you have the character of and i cannot believe i've just forgotten her name the main female character in rule of wolves oh hold on one second um i i feel ashamed i'm so ashamed of myself <laughs> just it's no good asking me because i'm like uh, I haven't read them yet. Um, Nikolai is the main male character. Nina is obviously in it as well, and she's obviously amazing. Um, and I, I'm so, I, God, oh, just please give me one second while I figure this out. Uh, I'm looking through the. Um, <laughs> Um, uh, Zoya right. Zoya Nazielinski. Um, she's standoffish cold, cruel she's basically like what Nesta was sort of meant to be depicted as yeah um, and she has her really soft moments as well but there was one scene in scene that I really liked where someone's been tr- someone's trying to woo her and she says I know I, th- I think I know what you want you think that you will you know we'll sit down to dinner um, you'll get me talking you'll play me some music and I will open up and reveal all of the softness inside of me and she says, but that's not going to happen because there is no softness inside of me. What you see is what you get. And she does have some sadness and she does have some sort of tentative and, and quiet moments and, and sweet moments as well. But she's also, she portrays herself as she really is. 
And she has these great female friendships with other people where, you know, she doesn't like crying in front of them. She shares a scant few number of hugs, which considering they're all in a sort of war situation and they never know whether any of them are going to survive or anything like that, feels kind of realistic. But for me, I really liked her female friend. I really liked the female friendships depicted in this because they felt real and they were each sort of tailored to the individuals. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay, um, if you must show gendered violence as part of a female character's backstory, mm-hmm. um, then uh, there's a few pointers I would say. We've already said don't make it the only thing. Mm-hmm. That should go without saying, but we've said it anyway. Yeah. Um, don't use it as a way to f- humble your female warrior character. So don't build her up and then have a man attack her and rape her just to bring her down again to give her something to fight against. Yeah. Um, that's a really bad way to use it. Yeah, don't I mean the treat- male character m- can be maybe trying to do that, but don't don't actually make that part of the narrative if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, don't treat it like a conveniently disappearing wound. So if you put it in there, you have to tackle it. That's yeah. that's the rule. Don't reel in a character who you haven't really bothered to talk about in order to just have her relive horrific um, sexual violence um, on page. And I'm really looking at the poppy war for this because the poppy war is, you know, based on its sort of fantasy China. Mm-hmm. Um, and the first third of the book is brilliant the second third is a bit wobbly and the last third is absolutely mental it's weird it just (laughs) you know the two it's like three different books and it just doesn't fit together i don't think i'm sorry it's not a well structured book um Mm. but what really bugs me is there's one female character who surprise surprise is mean to the main female character all the way through the book and then about sort of 60 percent of the way through there's an event that is clearly mirroring the rape of Nanking, which if you know anything about that, you'll know how terrible that was. Yeah. And they reel this female character in who has had maybe three pages of exposure before this and all of them being mean to the main character and have her relive her like really graphic, violent gang rape. And then she's abandoned again and they have nothing to do with this character anymore. And I'm like, you, that, that, that's not acceptable. Yeah. It's not acceptable to do that so that you can eat your cake and have it too. You yeah. know? Because you don't want that to happen to your main character, fine. But you still want to talk about it. Then you need to allow that character time on stage. So that that's one of my big issues with that book. And that's why I haven't continued with that series. It, I don't believe the author can actually tackle this stuff in a way that does justice to it, I think, is, is my issue with that. Mm. Um, and, you know... <laughs> Don't use rape threat to signal a bad guy. Bad guys need characterization too. Yeah. I mean, you can have a bad guy who uses rape threat. As Jules has demonstrated, there are some shitty people out there who will just say things. Just say things. Just, Um, you know, because God forbid that there's a physically capable woman standing within five metres. Yeah. Um, But yeah, it's it's again one of the other reasons that I really liked Kingpin, for instance, in um, Daredevil is that we establish that is a scary dude. That's a bad guy. And at no point is he ever rapey. No, he's always very respectful towards women. He will beat men to death. Yeah. 
but not just for ra- not for well, he's obviously got a very bad temper but he's very respectful to women it's yeah. really refreshing actually it's more subversive now to have a bad guy who treats women well than it is to have a bad yeah. guy who's kind of like well i guess i'll rape you since you're here yeah exactly but his whole backstory the way that he actually treats people you know it, it all links in yeah this is this is a man who actually really loves his mother he loves his mother. He had a lot of respect for his mother. Um, I think maybe there's an essence that he looks a little bit down on women or in the I want to take care of women kind of way. Yeah. But he reveres them as well. And it's it's not unhealthy. You know, he's he's a, an interesting character, but he doesn't like men. He doesn't yeah. trust men. Um, and it makes total sense with the way that he was built up. So, yeah, yeah. definitely. I mean, it wouldn't make sense for him to have a relationship with Vanessa who let's face it in world terms is well out of his league yeah but she actually forms a really strong connection with him yeah because he treats her really really well and it's not just her just sort of women in general yeah um so um, you know it, yeah it's not his only redeeming qu- uh, quality is it no exactly um, he's yeah and he's engaged with her it's not just that he you know it's there's it's there's not a look things happening there there's not a you know anything else happening there he is just he engages with her um and he listens to her and he he actually cares about her so yeah yeah definitely um the final thing and i can't believe i'm saying this but i think maybe it just needs to be said just to be sure yeah. Don't ever present rape in a manner that's meant to titillate. That's what sex scenes for. Rape is violence. It's not for titillation purposes. Yeah. I've read plenty of fantasy where it has been presented in that way. Yes. Uh, yes, Terry Goodkind, I'm looking at you. <laughs> Look, he's been dead a while now. I get to stop picking you, again. You can, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. Um it's i was i was looking at a list of you know the amount of films as well which where assault or things like that um or harassment were depicted as a joke or a sign of interest or things like that um in old sort of movies and things like that it it wasn't it isn't um and yes there are different sort of perceptions at different times in different situations um but if you are writing an assault, it's an assault. It's not there for titillation. Um, you know, in the same way that you might not write... It. Just think of it like this way. Would you write a titillating torture scene? I really I'm now going not. to very sexily pull out your fingernails. Like, that's not a thing. Um, you can have a highly charged scene... Um, you can have a scene where there is where actually it's not meant to be depicted as assault. Um, it might be violent. You might have two people who are smacking each other around or shaking each other or things like that. But it's they not actually kind of meant to be. Con- they continue the the upright argument in a horizontal position. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> for whatever reason your characters are doing that, um, fine. But if you are writing something that is meant to be a form of assault, write it as an assault. Um, yeah. Just because the titties are out doesn't mean it's sexy, guys. Yes. Absolutely. Mostly male writers, but I've seen female writers do this too. And honestly, shame on you. Yeah. It's it's also the thing that always gets me is whenever they do it on screen and they're like, it's not meant to be for titillation. I'm like, so why is the camera in that angle? Yeah. 
me don't believe you either the cameraman is not or camera person sorry is not actually paying attention to their job uh, or you actually want it to look a specific way. Yeah. I think it was one of the ways that when Sansa actually was... There was showing her have her being raped was when when they filmed it, they only looked at her face, didn't they? Well, no, they didn't. They looked at Theon. Did they? I... Oh, th- yeah, oh, that's, that's it. why they I had did. such a they problem at... with it. That was because... it, that was it. Oh, I must be thinking of something else where you see someone who is being assaulted and it just concentrates on her face and shows the horror and the (laughs) actually i tell you what (laughs) where it came from i don't know where i got this from there was an old ad with emma thompson in it which was about sex trafficking um which depicts you can see that she's being raped but you can't see anything it's just her face it is utterly harrowing I don't yeah. recommend looking it up unless you are incredibly curious. It's harrowing. It's Emma Thompson. She does a fantastic job of depicting the absolute horror of it. But it's the first time that I've actually ever seen a rape scene depicted in a way that shows the sheer awfulness of it. Yeah. Um, I've seen other ways it's been done effectively in film is where you actually don't see the victim at all. What you see is what the victim is seeing. Yeah. All the way through. And that's usually very powerful as well. And I've yeah. seen it done in like books and that. I mean, the, the whole thing here I'm kind of really sort of edging people towards is think of better backstories. There yeah. are there are millions of things that can affect people that don't have to be gendered sexual violence, don't have to be gendered violence. Yeah. Um, it is basically what I'm getting at. But I, obviously I don't want to take anything off the table if people are going to do a good job. Yeah. So speaking of people doing a good job, let's finish this off um, by actually talking about when it's been done right. Yes. Um, basically, almost... Well, yeah, all Tamora Pierce's female characters, all her characters in fairness, but all her female characters, her female leads um, are brilliant. They're not all fighters either, but they all, or rather, they're not all sort of sword-wielding fighters, but they all have fighting spirit in their own way, Mm. Um, including, for example, Lady Sandraline from the, uh, you know, the Circle of Magic series, which, you know, she starts off as a 10-year-old girl who is just interested in weaving, and the things she learns to do with a piece of thread to defend herself are actually really frightening for the people trying to harm her, for example. Yeah. Um... So she, so yeah, long before people were sort of going, oh, S.J. Mouse is so feminist, she does all this wonderful stuff, and then you look at the tripe she's been giving us lately. Um, Tamora <laughs> Pierce has still been knocking it out of the park. She's been knocking out the park for 40 years now. <laughs> <laughs> Put Sarah J. Mass down. <laughs> I can't, because I know she can do better. <laughs> yeah. Um, Leah Bardugo, obviously we... we mentioned Leah Bardugo before um I she she's handled all sorts of kind of things and she handles trauma I think incredibly well regardless of whether you like her characters or not but you do have the character of Inej who has been sexually assaulted and has been raped she was sold into sexual slavery um and that has affected her it's had a very profound effect on her um 
but she's still a competent character. She's a woman who wants to fight. Yes, she gets into the situation she's in now, working for Kaz Brecker, because she wants out of the uh, of the menagerie, which is where she's um she's been uh she's enslaved. Um, she's technically indentured, but she's enslaved. Yeah. Um, she wants out, and so she, you know, she goes to Kazbrecker, and she becomes his, you know, his his wraith, his spider. Um, she goes and gets some secrets and things like that. At first, she doesn't like the idea of killing, um, but the thing that I always really like about Inej was that it shows that she has this kind of this sense of she always wants to be the best. And there's this great bit where you know she she feels a bit ashamed of killing, but. You know, she hears her father's voice in her head saying, Inej, must you always be the best at everything? You know, if she's going yeah. to do it, she's going to do it right. And so there's this whole character of who she was to begin with. She was someone who would take risks. She was someone who kind of liked to push herself. Um, you know, it's not inconceivable. The, the person she is now isn't isn't built entirely on the fact that she was sexually assaulted. The situation is everything to do with the fact that she was captured and sold as a slave, um, but there is so much more nuance to it. And yes, it means that she uh, she develops feelings for Kaz, um, and the two of them struggle with each other because they both have trauma related to touch, yeah, in different ways, um, which I think is they've done incredibly well. Um, it's Leah Bardugo has handled it very, very well. But again, you've got Inej and she falls far more under the spy assassin style of fighting. Yeah. Because she's small and slight. She's not a sword wielding um, six footer or anything no. like that. And again, you know, she's learned how to defend herself, but it's not necessarily a direct result. It's just that her skills at sneakery, etc. Yeah. Um, were valuable. So, yeah, I think she's still counts as a female warrior and she's absolutely a very well done one yeah um i talk about shannon mcguire mcguire's encrypted series i've talked about them before it's um this this ongoing saga about a family of cryptozoologists who sort of act as conservationists for for the cryptids of the world and they're up against the covenant of saint george who basically want to destroy all monsters um and there's all the female characters in that are by necessity required to learn to fight as children. Mm. But you've got Verity Price, who really, really wants to be a ballroom dancer, competitive ballroom dancer. And she's very, very good. And the sort of weaponry she can hide under a skimpy ball, you know, skimpy professional ball gown is, is you know, quite eye opening. And it's it. I just think it it's really well done even on one occasion where verity does get captured by the covenant of saint george and they in order to disarm her they just strip her naked because they can't be sure where she's hidden anything and they've got her tied up on a bed but none of it reads as titillation this is kind of like no this is ruthless practicality we know how dangerous you are we cannot leave you access to anything yeah um yeah, uh, it, it's just done in a really interesting way. And all of them fight in slightly different ways. Uh, there's, in complete contrast, her sister's better at things like acrobatics and setting traps for people. And her cousin isn't really much of a hand-to-hand -hand fighter. She can do what she needs to do, 
but she's far better at at thinking her way out of a problem so i think that's a really well done yeah version of the female warrior trope yeah absolutely um again leah bardugo just i wanted to mention some of the female characters in um the the king of scars duology where you have you know not putting the, the crows aside you do have nina she is a spy her her fighting is that she she can fight in hand to hand um but she's much better at subterfuge um completely different from inez who sneaks around nina is loud she can act she can um she's a bit she can sort of con her way and she's a sort of a, a spy within the midst who can then kill um whenever is required uh with her grisha powers you have zoya who is the sort of one of the big bad she's called um the thunder witch i think it is um and she's you know big flashy fighter and then you have toya who is uh she's shu she appears in the grisha series as well um she she's a heart render um but she mostly uses swords and she fights alongside her twin brother who is this humongous guy and the two of them are very much hand-to-hand fighters with a little bit of grisha power mixed in um and each of them are unique each have their own skills each recognize their own weaknesses as well like the fact that uh you do have nina who is a spy but at one point she's like god i wish i was a nege because if this would be it would be much easier for me to sneak around in this bit because she's the, she's the spy in plain sight she's the pe- person that everyone overlooks because she looks like um you know a at one point she dresses as a, pro- as a prostitute in Six of Crows. At another point she's, you know, she's a, a sort of a, an old woman or, or, or a, a, a young widow or things like that, the kind of thing that people look over. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, final one I mentioned, there are, there are other examples, obviously. Yeah. Not so many as there are, you know, sexy lamp examples. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, um, Jay Kristoff's Nevernight series yes. where Mia Corver, her backstory is that she was part of this noble house and it, um, due to sort of politics and other things, she's forced to witness her father's hanging and then her mother is taken from her as well. Mm-hmm. Um, this is not a gendered thing. This, and you know, they attempt to kill Mia as well, but they fail, which, you know, if you're going to, you know, top tip, if you're going to wipe out a house, make sure you get everyone, because otherwise absolutely one of the children will grow up and come back and take revenge on you. This is just what happens. And, you know, she dedicates her life to wiping out the people who did this to her family. Yeah. And without going into the whole sort of revenge arc thing, which is absolutely what it's about, none of this is kind of a gendered violence thing. Um, and whenever Jay Kristoff does use the sort of rape threat thing, it's always alongside the fact that this is someone who already has characterization, and we're not surprised when something like that comes out of a character's mouth. Yeah. This is exactly what we'd expect them to say, because he's already told us that's the kind of person they are. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, there are lots of ways of doing the female warrior character right that can involve some kind of sexual assault but don't just fall back on that as the as the default no um 
we we're out of time um but obviously there are so many other female characters that we haven't you know even mentioned we we've scratched the surface there are some great female warrior characters out there if you feel like we've missed someone and you want us to sort of you know you kind of want to draw our attention to it please let us know you remember you can get in touch with us via our facebook our twitter um or our tumblr both individually or through the dissecting dragons pages um, before we go, it is time for our Dissecting Dragons recommendation of the week. And Jules, I think you've got one for us. Yes, complete sidebar, but, you know, kind of a, a female character who is, is fighting, but fighting in life. Um, and that is, I'm sorry, I must just remind myself of the author name. But it's a book I've just finished reading and I picked it up on complete whim because it looks like commercial women's fiction which you know isn't really my sort of thing generally mm-hmm. but it's called wildwood whispers and it's by willa reese and it is due to come out in a couple of months time i believe okay and i just thought well i've read a lot of dystopian heavy hitting fiction recently maybe something sort of warm and cozy would be you know a nice antidote to that and this book was brilliant i ended up giving it five stars in the end Ah. It follows um, two, basically, it follows a uh, Mel who Mel Smith, who is a foster child. She doesn't really remember her real mother. She doesn't remember when she was put into foster care or anything like that. And mm-hmm. she has kind of quite a, a troubled um, backstory, and she has trouble making friends and trusting people. Um, she kind of takes responsibility for another girl who newly arrives in foster care after her mother is murdered. Right. And the two of them form a really tight friendship and refer to each other as sisters. And then it skips forward 10 years to when they're sort of 22, 23. Mm-hmm. And there's a freak car accident and her friend Sarah is killed. And the last thing Sarah had, you know, made her promise way before the car accident was, if anything ever happens to me, please take my ashes back to Morgan's Gap in Appalachia. Mm-hmm. Or Appalachia, depending how you pronounce it. Apparently it's different on the other side of the mountain. Um so that they can be put with my mothers and grandmothers etc yeah and so mel does this finally and when she gets there she kind of finds herself being pulled into the community and there's something a bit strange about morgan's gap there is a sort of religious fundamentalist cult nearby as well oh right okay (laughs) there's also um male run big surprise um, but there's also a group of women and men who live quite close to the land. Mm-hmm. So there's quite a nature-focused feel to whole thing okay. as well. And it it's about healing through growing and creating and, you know, living close to nature. And there is some genuine magic in it as well, although it's very low-key. And there's a, she sort of discovers the mystery of what happened to her where she originally came from where sarah originally came from what happened so it's kind of part murder mystery part um magical realism tour part women's fiction although really it it's far more about nature and healing and magic and it was just really really lovely it's a really good book okay cool that sounds really really interesting thanks for that recommendation i'll be sure to check it out And on that note, guys, we're going to say thanks very much for listening, and we'll catch you guys next week. Yeah, thanks and goodbye. Bye! You've been listening to Dissecting Dragons, the speculative fiction podcast. You can follow our podcast at podbean.com or from iTunes. 
For more information, visit our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash dissecting readers or check out our author websites at jaironside.com and madelinevaughan.com. Please note that no dragons were harmed during the making of this podcast.